any service, the true value is the way your consumers articulate it to other people. And we don't capture that valuable information if we're not engaging them frequently in that exercise of feedback. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. All right, welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. Today, Luke, we're going to be covering something that's super near and dear to our heart, which is how to get referrals from your client base. This is exciting. We've yes. never had a guest on, I think, talking specifically. Yeah, honed in on this topic. About how referrals. to get client referrals. And it's such a big part of our business and what we do. But first, I want to ask for your help. If you would support the show, head on over to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Leave a comment there. We are still trying to climb the charts. We've only got like a month left by the time this yes. podcast These comes out. These charts are we driving hit me number insane. one before the end of the year. We hit like, we were at like 30s, then we got to 25, and then we're back down <laughs> to 60. And I was like, what's going on? I guess we released a bad episode. So we could really use your referrals as well. Share the podcast yes. with your friends good, and family. Anyone in your business that you know can need to listen to this. I want to introduce our guest today, though. His name is Dan Allison. He's a keynote speaker and business consultant who doesn't just have the academic credentials as evidence of his abilities here, but also has the practical experience to back it up. In a few short years, Dan has gone from a virtual unknown to speaking on some of the largest stages in the world. His message is simple. Your clients are the best consultants for your business, and you need a solid process for engaging your clients in business and its growth. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Awesome to be here, guys. It seems like forever ago we started the conversation. <laughs> Glad to finally see you, uh, at least virtually. Yeah, because of COVID, I just got to tell the audience, Dan is probably our most rescheduled guest. Like we had him so many times. Because he's local like, to us. You're yeah. nearby us. So we were going to do this in well, person. Well, he said he was going to, yeah, he's going to do it in person, which I thought was awesome. But COVID had, had another idea. That's all right. We'll get it done. Yeah, we'll get it done. Well, speaking of referrals, right? And I'll segue this into Dan getting you to introduce yourself. The story is we actually met Dan through our other guest, David DeSalle. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I forget what David's episode number is. Maybe Ariel can check that for us. But David was a phenomenal interview uh, that we had. And David said, if there's somebody you got to know in the industry, it's Dan Allison. So he was kind enough to introduce us to Dan. So I'm super excited for this interview because I know you just have a wide array of experience, but you're really an expert when it comes to generating referrals and really helping business owners understand how to get referrals. But before we get into that topic, could you just take a few minutes for those who don't know you, kind of tell a little bit of your backstory, what led you into what you're doing today? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start at the beginning. Um, or, or current, you know, right now I own a company called Feedback Marketing Group and another company called Brokers Clearinghouse. Uh, Feedback Marketing Group, we're a consulting firm. I've been around like 17, I think it's our 18th year. Uh, and during that time, we have solely focused on helping uh, operations generate more referral activity from their current clients. Um, now, what led us to become content experts in that area was kind of a unique journey because my background uh, is in clinical and behavioral psychology. Uh, so during during graduate school for clinical psychology, a partner and I started a mental health operation where we had facilities for kids who had schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, traumatic brain injury. And to, just to give you some color around what we did, uh, all over the country, there are kids that have these conditions 
And unfortunately, a lot of times the kid's behavior can become dangerous. So they have to be taken out of the home Mm. and they end up living in these facilities. Um, So you can imagine as a parent having to give over the care of your child is a very difficult choice. Uh, But mainly they live in those facilities for the rest of their life. And my partner and I had a passion for helping those uh, kids. We took out a $10,000 line of credit at Wells Fargo with a co-signer because we were we were both totally broke. Uh, we rented our first little location and began to help those families. And uh, at the beginning of our fifth year, I think our fifth year, we did about 20 million in revenue. We had 500 staff at that point. Wow. Uh, and 70 locations within just a uh, five, five year window. And I bring that up, not because the numbers are impressive, but really a hundred percent of the growth of our operation was through referral. And you look at which we'll talk about, I'm sure, but you know, well, referring in the mental health field, referring in the finance industry, real estate industry, you wouldn't think they have anything in common when in reality, we've learned they have a tremendous amount in common. So uh, my partner and I ended up selling that company. Uh, we had a five-year non-compete clause. I was 27 at the time and, and he was a little bit older and he retired. I was not going to retire at 27. <laughs> uh, so I had to find a different industry to, to be in. Uh, and that led me into the finance industry uh, where I bought a company that had three divisions, a mortgage bank, a real estate operation, and a financial services, insurance, and investing division. And that's where I found the referral challenge that exists for really almost anybody who owns a business, regardless of industry, and decided to really focus on how can I make a dent in that problem for people that provide a valuable service for other people. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, let's kind of dig into it then a little bit. I think the problem with referrals, at least that we've seen in our own business is people don't necessarily understand where the referral is coming from, what necessarily triggered the referral, what their conversion rate should even be on referrals. So I know you've kind of done some of these statistics about like how many people would be likely to refer you. Can we kind of start there with almost like the numbers and then maybe get into like the tactics? Yeah, so so a lot of uh, professionals, they start with, I don't know the right way to ask about it, what way to talk about it, uh, or when they come in reactively, hey, I gave your name out to someone the other day, they're going to call you, those kind of things. They struggle with how do I bring it up in the first place. But what I decided to do 17 years ago is really began to uh, conduct focus groups with the clients themselves. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to study the psychology of referring. Why do you refer your real estate agent? Why do you refer your financial advisor? As importantly, why don't you? Uh, Is it risk? Is it that you don't want to look bad? You're you're private. So we've interviewed thousands of people over the 17 years about the topic to understand their psychology. And so we participated uh, in the last couple of years in the biggest study that is done in North America about consumer behavior. And we helped write the questions around referring. Hmm. And one of the questions was we had, I, I think there was 20 some thousand that completed the long version. And the long version took hour, hour and a half to complete. So it was a time commitment. Wow. And one of the questions that I wrote was, do you value Uh, It was mainly in the finance industry. So do you value what your financial professional does for you enough that you would confidently take the risk and recommend them to somebody who's incredibly important? And so statistically, what I found was very interesting, 98% answered affirmatively. So either uh, very much or positively. Uh, But what was more interesting is 51% of these respondents said that they had actively referred at least one new client to their financial professional in just the last 12 months. And it broke down like this, 24% said they'd referred one new client, 17% said two two new clients, 
7% three, 3% four, and 3% five or more. So when you add up the metrics, it suggests that for every 100 clients a financial professional has, they should have received 96 referrals in the last year, which is obviously ridiculous, right? They wouldn't have a business development issue. They'd have a staffing issue. Mm. Um, and so when you dissect the data, it, it, it suggests what I have claimed for 17 years after interviewing thousands of clients. The majority of people, whether you're a realtor, uh, insurance agent, financial advisor, you own a gym, it doesn't matter. If you own a business that is largely based off referral activity, you already have enough willing advocates, meaning people that are having a good enough experience, they're willing to refer. But when I dig down more deeply into interviewing a client, what we normally find is they're not capable of taking action and doing it effectively. So we'll talk at some point in the podcast probably about the characteristics of a good referral source because um, we boil it down to really there's about five characteristics that, that a client has to have to become a good advocate for any company. But in 17 years, I've never interviewed a client that has even three out of the five things. Really? Uh, and without all five, they can't be great advocates. They might passively refer, but they won't do it a lot. So I guess walk us through then tactically, because here I am a business owner, right? So I'm looking at my client base. How do I get them to become advocates? And then I guess even before that, let's talk about the characteristics because I want to select who I should go after. How do I know who yeah. to go after and how do, then I, how do I then get them to actually refer? Yeah, so we'll break down the characteristics and, and we'll dive as deeply into each one as you want to. Um, and and when, when I present, you know, you mentioned I do a lot of keynote speaking uh, around the world on this topic. And when I mention these five characteristics, they sound incredibly, they're very simple, right? But yet I've never met a client out of thousands who have them. So it doesn't matter how simple they are. Like the idea that I should go to the gym five days a week and eat clean <laughs> is a simple concept. But if I don't execute on the simple concept, I don't get the sustainable result, right? <laughs> so the first characteristic, and, and again, if you own a company listening to this, or you're a realtor, or even a sales professional that doesn't own a business, but wants more business, the first characteristic is that you've got to have a client that sees so much value in their own experience with you that they would confidently take the risk and recommend you to somebody who's incredibly important. Now, the reason I say it that way, there's two variables in there that are, that are different for everybody, value and risk. So if I take 20 people, line them up and say, okay, you work with a real estate company, define what a valuable experience looks like to you. What does value even mean to you? I will get 20 very different answers. And if I say, if you think about the risk of confidently saying, I work with this real estate company, you should too. How risky is that? And what do you think the, the backlash could be if something went wrong? I get 20 different in, uh, answers to that question. So most of us think, oh yeah, they got to have a valuable experience, but the majority of people don't have a method to assess until value goes here and risk is here. Mm. They are never going to be a very act, active advocate. So one of the things our company focuses a lot on is the importance of getting honest, consistent feedback from those people that you would love to clone in the first place. So if you're the kind of client I would love to have a whole client base full of, I should invest the time in you to have a very personalized method of getting honest feedback about your experience to learn what are these things that we exceed your expectations? How do you define value? What can we do to improve? all these kinds of things. And I find even the biggest companies, you know, we work multi-billion dollar companies that have no method of engaging 
their best customers and most of their revenue sources in, in the idea of feedback. Best case, they do little mailed surveys that are highly impersonal mm. and do nothing to make me feel more important as a client. Dude, this so is that's number one. And this, so is the value is high. To, this is hitting close to home. I, know, I, hate, to, I hate to cut <laughs> you off there. It hurt because the reason why is because I think of our clients yeah. and I go, yeah, yeah, we've sent out those impersonal surveys. <laughs> we've fallen into the right. same trap that everybody does. And I think you're spot on. It's like, here are your best clients. They're your best source of telling you how to improve your experience or what you did well. And we even ourselves are now. So no golden nugget for myself right there. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. Can you keep going? Well, no, number and, two. And, and, and to be clear, there, there is value in a, a quantifiable survey, you know, scale of one to 10, check this stuff. But it's much more about a, a, a mailed survey or an emailed survey can tell you what people think, how strongly they think it. But they can you can never learn why. You know, on a scale of one to 10, how valuable is our stuff? Well, it's a nine. Wouldn't you love to know why? If they were articulating to somebody else, here's why I'm a raving fan of this service. Wouldn't you love to hear the words that come out of their mouth? And, and mm. every company that I work with, they, they see value in a value proposition and they hire branding companies to build their value prop and their elevator speech. But the true value proposition of any service, whether it's a podcast, your magazine is awesome. I've seen it finally now. Uh, any service, the true value is the way your consumers articulate it to other people. And we don't capture that valuable information if we're not engaging them frequently in that exercise of feedback. Well, how are you collecting that feedback or how are you getting it and then using it to to earn or to build that client loyalty, I guess, increase the value, lower the risk? Yes. Yeah, so it, it's, it can be different for everybody. So you think about a financial advisor, they may only have 300 clients, mm -hmm. right? So they may say, these 50 generate 80% of our revenue. Yep. So these are the kind of clients, I always say your best clients are the ones that you would hate to lose, but you would love to clone. Mm -hmm. And if you only focus on those two characteristics, I would hate to lose that client. But I would also love to have a whole client base that people just like them. Um, so they can isolate those 50 and then do in-person or now Zoom uh, feedback sessions. They have that luxury because it's 50 people. That's one a week. Right. People like you that have thousands of consumers. I think you isolate. How do we identify who the ideal followers are of what we do? And how do we pick a norm sample of them that's manageable, but pull them out from the masses and dedicate your time to, to doing something highly personal? Let me give you a quick example that I think uh, exemplifies this. For the last 10 years, I have averaged probably 150 nights a year in hotels, unfortunately, because of my travel and speaking. Wow. Uh, and I try to stay in SPG properties every time I fly. You know, you rack up points and all that kind of stuff. Uh, every time I check out of that hotel, I get an email at four o'clock in the afternoon. And the email says, how was your stay? You know, you're so valuable to us. We'd like you to click, go into this portal, click, 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 <laughs> submit. Well, you'll never know if we read the feedback or if it was helpful. You will never see whether we took action. You're important, right? What do I do with that email every single day at four so o'clock? Yeah, delete. delete, right? <laughs> now, now, what if somebody from corporate with a title behind their name said, hey, this guy lives half the time in our hotels. <laughs> 150 nights Wouldn't it be year. great to learn why these people do it and what we do well, what, what we could do better, what keeps them coming back? Here's what would happen. If that person reached out to me, Number one, I would take the time personally out of my life 
because they've acknowledged I'm important. It, it pats my ego, which is important. I like to give my opinions, which most people do. We just don't get asked to. I would walk off that call a more loyal consumer of that operation because I felt important. They would walk off with invaluable information where they could establish patterns of their most loyal and important customers. But instead, they do mass everything. Um, so I would say if you've got thousands, you've got to isolate a norm sample to identify who are the people we'd hate to lose and love to clone. So good. And let's, let's go through some of these. Yeah, so Is good. it during that call, that feedback gathering call from corporate with a title behind their name where the referral happens? Is that where the referral ask happens? Or is that just the building of loyal fans and the referrals naturally happen? It is, it is normally the building of the, of the loyal fan, the deepening, the relationship, the, um, the, the psychology that is qualitative and not quantitative of making an existing customer feel important, I don't believe can be measured. You know, my, my business partner uh, in the mental health company that passed away, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, he would always say the, the best emotion that you can establish between yourself and a customer is guilt. They've got to feel terrible for choosing another option because you did everything to let them know they're important and engage them in feedback and give them platforms to share critical feedback. I always told my clients and always have that on a scale of one to 10, if your experience is a seven, we have to have the kind of relationship where you are willing to teach me what eight, nine, and 10 are hmm. so I can continually improve, but I've got to have a process and an obligation to engage you in that kind of exchange. They've got to know that I sincerely want transparent, honest feedback to continually improve, which is why I tell people that, you know, it's interesting consulting is a multi-billion dollar industry. And it's really what it is, is people paying a consultant to teach them how to deliver a better experience typically with their customers. Meanwhile, you got all these customers that'll teach you that they're more qualified <laughs> and they'll do it for free. And the example I always give is it's like, if I wanted to learn how do I improve my relationship with my wife and my method of how to do that was to go to the airport and pay a strange woman who's never even met my wife to give me advice. Oh, Wouldn't it be easier to just go That's directly hilarious. to the source? Now, I don't recommend anybody do it, but it'd, <laughs> yeah, <right>. be, easier. <laughs> it'd be easier if you actually would do it. <laughs> if that makes good. sense. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. So what is uh, number three then? No, uh, second characteristic. Okay, second. So, yep. The, the second characteristic is I find the majority of people that, that operate businesses, they typically do not provide one service. They normally have multiple services. So a real estate company, they provide listing services, buyer agency services. They have titles, a lot of or title insurance, mortgage operations, financial advisors provide dozens of different services. But when I interview clients, and I asked them to write me a comprehensive list of all the services that are avail available through the company. The average client can only list about 20% mm. of the services that the business owner would list. Wow. So if you think about that, number one, if they ever need that other 80% of things, they go elsewhere, which is terrible. You've exposed your client to the competition. But number two, it limits 80% of the referrals I may be able to get if I had better educated clients. So the second characteristic is that you have to, you have to have a client that is capable of conveying your value proposition. Why are you different from the other people within 10 miles who do what you do so that when they try to, it's impactful. But secondly, they've got to understand the comprehensive nature of all the things you do, not stereotype you as just 
the things that you do. When I, for instance, guys, I've watched your podcast a lot. Um, Dave Dussel, like you said, that was the first time I watched you. I love Dave Dussel. He's one of my <laughs> favorite human beings. I've gotten to know him incredibly well after that. Um, I'm flying out to stay with him here in a couple of weeks, actually. That's awesome. Uh, but but if, if you would have asked me, what do you guys do? I would have said they, they host the podcast. Mm-hmm. Then I got on the phone with you guys and realized what kind of operation you actually have. And now, if I were to talk about you guys, it's not just saying, oh, you ought to watch this podcast. So even if I thought you guys were amazing and I wanted to be an advocate, I'm limited in my ability to do that because of the narrow paradigm of the value you provide. Yeah. So the second characteristic, clients who are able to articulate your value and really understand the comprehensive nature of what you do. And that is what we call cross-education, continually re-educating the client when you see them or talk to them to remind them of all the things that you do that they may not use themselves, but may in the future or somebody they care about might need. It increases their ability to be better at referring. Yeah. I mean, that really speaks to your branding like that and speaks to your branding and not just like your logo and your look and your feel and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's how you make clients feel. It's how you make Mm -hmm. your consumers feel and what how they perceive every interaction that they have with you. And then even more importantly, what they've come to expect from you. I was listening to an interview with Seth Godin um, not long ago where he was talking about, you know, if Nike opened a hotel chain, you would you would have an expectation of what that hotel chain would be. It's true. Like you could already start to picture it in your mind. But yeah. if let's just say Best Western, I think he's in Marriott. If Marriott came out with a shoe brand, you have no idea what to expect from that shoe brand because you take those really? hotels and you can replace any logo on them and they all look the same. The carpet looks the same. The halls look the same. Everything's so good. Yeah, that's so that true. Is- very good. Yeah, so, I love that. Number two. Let's. Uh, what about number no, it's, three? It's number three now. Yeah, I, I got all backwards yeah. in my numbers there. I was like, You're I was so in, I was so into number one. I just kept asking questions <laughs> yeah. about that. I thought maybe we were only doing odd numbers. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. So third characteristic is um, uh, again sounds simple, but I'll explain when I interview the clients why it's a problem. The third thing is if you expect a client to be an effective advocate and a source of generating. Uh, new clients to your business, they've got to have a clear definition of what an ideal referral would look like. Who Mm -hmm. is it when you guys think, if we could capture this marketplace, this population of people, how do you define that? Uh, Number one, I I see a lot of businesses that can't really define who is their target market. What do they look like? What characteristics do they have? And if you can't, there's no way you should expect your clients to be able to define it, right? But secondly, a lot of times they don't push that down to the client. So the one question that I ask the people that we interview uh, is if if you and I were to walk into a crowded room full of people and we could get to know all the people in the room, everything about them, their family situation, what do they do for a living? What's important to them? And we could extract somebody out of that room and hand them to this professional as an ideal referral, define the characteristics we are searching for in the room full of people. And almost never do I have a client that is able to articulate those characteristics. So we're hoping these people are hunting for us, but we haven't given them the right equipment and they don't even know what they're hunting for. And then we're disappointed. Why are they not referring more often? Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, total sense. Yeah. Yeah, It makes total sense. It's, it's so much has to do with, you can't expect people to know what you need. Right. And I see this mistake all the time in real estate and, and it's not uncommon in real estate where you have your best friend or a family member, 
use another real estate agent. And you're, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, why? And when you actually dive into it, it's not because they wouldn't have given you the business. It's they just didn't understand. Like, think of your uncle right now. Do you know what your uncle does for work? And if well, you no, know what he dude, does for I, work, do you know what he needs? I bought life insurance from somebody and and my brother, I found out later, sells life insurance. Now, he doesn't anymore. But when I bought it, he <laughs> said, a perfect example. he goes, why didn't you use me? I said, I, I didn't know. I, I knew I you worked at a bank. I had no idea that you could yeah. sell me life insurance. Yep. He's like, no, I do financial yep. services. Yeah, that goes into two. And then three is just the idea of just, hey, you have to make sure they know what you're looking for. What's your ideal client? Who do you work with? What do you do? I love that. And, and part of that goes back to branding too, guys. You mentioned like the real estate. I, I worked with a, a real estate company, one of their top realtors. You know, they worked in the higher end of, of the market, which in Nebraska where I live, you know, a, a million five can buy you one hell of a house in Nebraska, <laughs> a huge one. Uh, but this realtor, you know, worked with a lot of 1.2 to 2 million. And there's not a lot of those transactions. And she asked me, why do you think my clients only refer the higher echelon? So there's very few transactions and I'm not attracting any of the six, 600,000, 700,000. I want to work with them too. And then I showed her all of her marketing. Everything was luxury home, $2 million <laughs> house. And I said, you've taught your clients that if they refer down, you'll be insulted. Mm. You've got to educate them of who the demographic is that you're able to help. And when she did that, all of a sudden she started getting referrals from the, you know, the, the 60 year olds that bought the $2 million house for their kids that were buying the five one. Mm. But if you don't equip them with that information, they won't make the right referral. Yes. So spot on. All right. Characteristic number four. Uh, number four is simple, but it's the biggest problem people have. Uh, that is that when somebody decides to make a referral, they have got to understand how important an actual introduction is to make the referral occur. Because what happens in the study we did, 81% of people reported that their method of making a referral was to passively give out the contact information for the professional that helped them. So if you think about everybody listening to this that, that works off referrals, I will guarantee you they have heard countless times, hey, I gave your name to someone the other day. They're going to reach out to you. Uh, and rarely does it actually happen unless there's immediate urgency mm. and they need something, that, you know. So the majority of the times it's the client trying to make a referral, but they're doing it in a way that does not lead to the outcome of the person they care about getting the help they had hoped to get to the person. So again, it's an educational process about making sure, hey, client, you may decide someday that somebody you care about needs help. That may never happen, but it might. And when it happens, I wanna talk about what do we do to make sure they get the help they deserve. And then you simply educate them that if you take the route most people do, giving our name and contacts out, rarely do those people actually end up with the outcome of getting help. So I want you to know how important it is if that happens to make that connection, to talk to me about it so we can actually get in front of the people and deliver what you want. Uh, so they get the help they need. I love the way so you phrase conversations that. Conversations like that. Yeah. No, I love the way that you phrase that. You may never have this up, but if you do, here's how you yeah. do it. It's a great thing to add into well, your content as well. Like everyone's looking at, you know, what, what am I putting on content? What kind of videos can I shoot for, yeah. for my social media? You know, that's another well, great thing to share with your clients because if they've had that great experience with you, they do want to help you. They just don't know how. But guys, one of the uh, uh, kind of dovetail on that point is, a lot of the books that you read about how do I get referrals, whether it's real estate or finance or insurance, 
uh, you know, you see things like, hey, the greatest compliment you could give me is a friend, a referral to friends or family. In the finance industry, they're trained to say, I get paid in two ways. And one of those ways is we expect referrals. You know, don't keep me a secret. Me, 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 I, 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 you know, help me. And at the end of the day, it's uncomfortable for them to say because it feels selfish and awkward. But much more importantly, I can tell you in 17 years, every client I've ever interviewed, I asked every single one of them, hey, have you ever referred anybody to this professional? And the ones that tell me yes, I say, who was the last one that you referred? And they say, you know, it was my brother. And I'll say, okay, can you tell me why did you do it? Because it's risky. If something went badly, it could hurt your relationship with your brother. What was your motivation? In 17 years, I've never heard a client look at me and say, well, because the greatest compliment that I could give them is a referral and I wanted to compliment them. Or, well, they get paid in two ways and they expect referrals. It's so ridiculous. They don't refer to help us. They refer to help them. And oh, so if we so can good. get all that, all that sales baggage out of our heads and truly believe that we provide something of value to people, referrals are not an uncomfortable conversation. They're truly a conversation about being helpful to people you may care about. And if you frame every conversation that way, there is no salesmanship involved in it. A referral is a reward for a job well done. And there's no reason to hesitate in asking your clients for one. Even so, you may struggle to find the right time or the right words that could open the door to more business. Well, we've got you covered with printable scripts that you can customize to your own style and use with your clients. Whether it's a longtime client or the anniversary of a home sale, we've made reaching out and asking for referrals as easy as saying hello. Go to ReminderMedia.com slash referral script to download this free resource today. That's ReminderMedia.com slash referral script. Take action on this today. That's a it's great a tip for like every line that you use in your business, spin it back around and pretend like your client is saying that line as you expect them to say yeah. it, right? Yeah. Well, the greatest compliment I give them is their referral. That's just <laughs> understanding the psychology. Use every yeah. every little pitch or line, kind of spin that around that way. Well, we saw... Oh, go ahead. Oh, so go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, one of the things that, that we're really proud about with our content is I've said, you know, I've spoken in front of a hundred financial advisors and 13,000 advisors, or, you know, I do private workshops, but what makes us the most proud is that all of those professionals could have their clients in the room with them while I'm training them. And they would never feel uncomfortable Mm. because none of it is about the BS objection handling. If they say this, you say that it's all about, look, your number one job is to drive an experience. that's so good that people can't help Mm. but want other people to have the experience. However, even when they get there, you've got to equip them with the right information to do it effectively if your mission is to help more people. So if you frame everything from that uh, angle, and now the caveat to that is you got to mean that, right? (laughs) It can't be insincere. Uh, But, you know, we built the mental health company from zero to 500 employees off referral because it never occurred to me I was a salesman. We had a passion for helping these families. And so to me, a conversation about, look, when you come across families that need help, we've got to engage because our passion is that. Mm. And if you don't do the right things, those people don't get help. But I didn't have that salesman in the back of my head going, careful, don't be too pushy. But I woke up and believed we were awesome at what we did. And anybody who worked with my competitor was not getting what they deserve. So if you feel the same way, get comfortable with the conversation, just frame it the right way. That is so good. 
That's such a golden nugget right there. I would encourage everybody rewind that, listen to that again, because that really is the key. That's the that's the ultimate level of sales. When you're not really selling, you're 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 helping. You're you're going out to people. You're passionate about what you're doing. Actually, we found in terms of that characteristic, even with our sales team, because we have a ton of people on the phone. Like when we get referrals from our clients. We find that if the client will introduce us through text or through email and talk to that person before we call, we significantly see higher closing rates, significantly versus just, hey, call Josh Dyke. He's another agent in my office. Even though it's a nice intro to be able to say, you know, Dan asked me to call you, but it still falls flat versus you actually texting Josh, letting him know that, hey, Luke's going to reach out to you, that type of idea. So we've seen it play out in our own business here. With the intros, yeah, I'll give you I'll give you some language here because I know this is recorded and people can listen back to it. But th- this language, I can promise you, for people listening, if you've ever had somebody say, "Look, I gave your name to someone," uh, you know, expect their call or them to reach out to you. If you can master this language, it will have a dramatic impact on your business in the future. That happened to me in the mental health field. It happened when I owned the mortgage bank and real estate operation. It happens in public speaking all the time. I gave your name to someone the other day. They're going to call. Now, if people are being honest, most of the time what they say is, hey, thank you. I appreciate that very much. And they know that person's probably not going to call. But when you have the mentality that on the other end of that is somebody that your client identified that they they thought needs help. And the method they used won't lead to that outcome. If you can understand that, you can have a totally different conversation. So this is what I've said every time my whole career Doesn't matter what industry, it works every single time. So they say, hey, I gave your name to someone the other day. They're going to be calling you. Uh, And what I say is, I appreciate that very much. Can we talk about it for a minute? And they always say, sure. And I say, I'm assuming that you did that because you feel that that person could use some help or some guidance. Is that accurate? What do 100 out of 100 people say? Yes, that is accurate. They say, yeah. They, they say, yeah, it's accurate. And they normally elaborate. Yeah, we were at dinner the other night and they said they're, they're going through this. And I say, here's the problem. They do not know and trust us the same way that you do. As a result, reaching out might be a little bit intimidating. And as a result, people normally don't do it. And finally, they typically don't get help. So if that was the outcome, rarely are we going to get to that outcome. So knowing that, can we simply uh, talk through a method of introduction that is going to be comfortable for you? comfortable for them, but increase the likelihood that help is the result of that exchange, you know, and it could be as simple as lunch or coffee. You could be there, not be there. It could be an email that we're all CC'd on. And I cannot tell you when you frame it that way and change it, how often it's like, oh yeah, why don't we do this? Mm. Now, instead of a a contact that's never going to call me, I've got an actionable introduction method that the client decided on. Not me, they did. And, And you'll see referrals go through the roof. (laughs) You know what I love about these characteristics as I'm sitting here and you're going through them? Like when you said that, that you never met anyone with more than two or three, I thought, well, that's kind of mean. Like these people, (laughs) like they don't have the characteristics to do what it takes to give referrals. And now you're throwing them back. It's like, no, it's all on you. Yeah. It's on you as the business owner. It's on you as a service provider to supply these clients with the characteristics. So let's close it out with number five. What's the last one? Yeah, number five is, is, is again, one of the uh, uh, phrases, I guess, or statements and questions that if your listeners can get comfortable with and really master the language, can be a total game changer for their career. And the fifth one is that, that you as a professional have got to understand within your most important clients, 
who is comfortable referring and who is not comfortable referring. And I'll explain it to you a little further. We have found that within every client base we interview, about 80% of clients are what we call gold mines. And what that means is they're not just good clients and good revenue sources, but psychologically they are comfortable with the risk and, and advocacy part. They're not scared of referring. They, are, they can clone themselves. 80% are comfortable, but 20%, that means, are what we call landmines. And these are people that no matter what, good client, good revenue source, psychologically, they're not the kind of people to refer. Typically anything, restaurants, movies, they are not comfortable with the risk that comes with confidently endorsing anything. And I find that most professionals have never identified who are my gold mines, who are my landmines. So they walk softly around everybody to make sure they never step on a landmine and hurt the relationship, but they never get to fully and confidently embrace the 80% that self-identify as gold mines. So mm. what, what I recommend you do to uncover that is every time I had a new family that became clients of my mental health company, every time I had a new client become a client of our real estate operation, I asked one, I, I've got a series of questions I asked, but one of them was a statement and then a question. I would simply say to them that, that the majority of the people that we help uh, are the clients that we have and typically people that our clients care about. Um, but that happens normally through referring, okay? them, them telling somebody to come get our help. Now, when it comes to that topic, it can be very uncomfortable for certain people. On one hand, every time I saw you, I could say, hey, who do you know? Do you know? Can you? And we will not do that. It's not comfortable. But we've also learned that if we're very passive about the topic, our own clients will genuinely know people that deserve help and need help and not be crystal clear that we have the capacity to help them, that they are the right people for us to help. And that means that people who need help don't get it. So I simply ask every client we work with, how do we approach that topic with you periodically, if at all, in a way that will be comfortable for you, but may lead to other people getting help? And then shut up. Just let it sit there. And here's what happens all the time. So the client is either going to say, well, you know, what kind of people are you trying to help? And it's going to open up this conversation. And they're going to say, just talk to me about it. It's not a big deal. Psychologically, what just happened for me is the elephant forever left the building. <laughs> there is no more, more awkwardness in my next exchange with you to think, oh, I know I should bring it up, but I don't know what will happen if I do. Now you know, hey, I'm bringing it up because I know it's comfortable for us to talk about. In the last six months, have you come across anybody that you feel deserves some help? I don't got to be scared. But the 20%, the landmines, are simply going to say, you know, for me, referring is not a real comfortable thing to do because if something goes bad, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all you do is say, perfect. That's why I asked the question. Never want to harm a relationship. Also don't want people not getting help. Mark them in your database. Never bring it up again. Don't worry about it. Don't objection handle your way out of it. It's never going to work. Yeah. Embrace your gold mines. Acknowledge your landmines. You can grow a hell of a business just doing that. That's a golden nugget. Yeah. Embrace your gold mines. Acknowledge your landmines. Avoid them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Avoid them. All right. So, Dan, I got to ask you, man, knowing what you know now, what would you go back and what advice would you give to younger Dan? Like, what would you tell that younger kid in high school, college age? The, the first thing I would do is go back to when I was 27 and say, do not sell the company. I know all that money is enticing because the thing's worth about 30 times what I sold it for today. <laughs> the, the first thing I would do if I had a time machine is that. 
Um, you know, the one, the one thing that, that I get asked a lot because I get to work with a lot of successful entrepreneurs and things in different industries. And, and like you guys, I'm sure I read every book about how do you be successful and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but and the one thing I love about Dave Vassell, who we talked about, uh, I would, I would tell my younger self, um, that if you just, if you have a passion for something, you know, find, I call it kind of finding your bliss. What is, what is the one thing that if you had all the money in the world and never had to work that you would spend your time doing? Cause chances are that's what you want to do. And that allows you to be patient when you're not getting rich off it. Um, but if you just put your head down and have work ethic and do the same things all day, every day, it's amazing how many people become incredibly successful without Ivy League educations or even advanced educations. In fact, I'll tell you a great quick example. The, the first employee that I hired for my mental health company um, was a high school graduate, but did not go to college. Um, he was a grinder, just the kind of guy that showed me the mountain or climb it. Uh, and I said, I want this guy on the team right away. He became president of the company when we had 500 employees. When we sold the company, he maintained that role. And today he is CEO over thousands and thousands and thousands of wow. employees. No advance. He is wealthier than me by 10 times. <laughs> and I look at the difference between him and I, he never stops grinding. And it sounds so simple and so uh, cliche. But I would tell my younger self that, that there's going to be countless times you want to quit. And there's no traffic at the extra mile. You'll turn around and look left and right. And nobody's going to be there because you outworked everybody and they all quit the second they hit the wall. Uh, and I wish I knew that earlier because I, I feel like I gave up sometimes a little too easily when things were hard mm. and I didn't see what a clear future would be for me. Mm. Yeah. Well, we had Cody Butler on the uh, podcast the other day. He said, action beats education every time. That yeah. was like the one thing. It's if you yeah. take action, massive, massive it's action. It's the Trump card. That's what he said. All right, Dan. I hire thousands of people, and every time I see a resume, the, the education is the last thing that I look at. Yep, it means nothing to me. Yeah, yeah I agree. Here. Well, thanks so much for being here, Dan. Before we close out, let people know how they can uh, find you and learn more about your firm. Yeah, social media pretty much is all uh, at uh, Dan Craig Allison, um, and that'll take you to the variety of different firms that, that we currently own. Uh, I'm a partner now since Dave DeSell was on your uh, podcast, my my company, Feedback Marketing Group, and his company, Model FA, have, have officially merged. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so we are one company together. We're super pumped about that. Uh, and then I have an insurance operation called Brokers Clearinghouse, uh, bchlife.com. If you're in the insurance industry, helping clients, look us up because we do some pretty cool stuff. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Thanks again for coming on and sharing those five characteristics of a good referral source. Thank you all so much for listening to Dive Deep into this episode. Get all of those links that Dan here mentioned, as well as the video for this podcast. You can head on over to staypaidpodcast.com. And I mentioned at the top of the show, but if you are looking for ways to support the show, we greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and make sure to leave a comment with that. Mm. This episode's feature review comes from S. Page via Apple Podcasts. She says, uh, well, she, I don't know, S, I don't know why. Page, I guess. I saw Page and thought well, maybe that's a, a female. You won't find better exclamation point five stars. Such a great podcast. High energy, great information, and all provided by highly knowledgeable professionals. What more could you want? Luke has a passion for marketing not seen in many people today and his knowledge on marketing sales and business is unparalleled. Seriously great content delivered in a way you want to learn more. I guess S. Page doesn't know my name. So thank you. I love for you, S. Page, whoever you are out there. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, we really appreciate that. The best way to help out the show is just to tell a friend about it. Share this episode on your social media. You know you have someone in your life that needs to hear this episode today. So make sure to share it. And if you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com or you can find us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast for this episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acri. And man, this one is worth a re-listen because there are so many golden nuggets throughout these five characteristics. But I think the one that is very simple to execute on because we want to give you an action item to take away from each podcast. The simple one is look at the people that you really, really want to just clone in your business. Your best clients, those 80 are the people that are driving 80% of your revenue and go and talk to them and actually get their feedback on their experience. What are you doing well that they love? What are you doing poorly that they don't? like and then use that to craft your client experience because your client experience is truly going to bring the raving fans remember this the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every single business is top producers take action take action on that today 